Welcome to What's Your Beef? What's Your Beef is proudly supported by Suncorp Bank, helping local producers through the ups and downs since 1902. Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello and welcome to What's Your Beef? I'm Jane Cudahy. For many Australians, owning your own cattle property has become almost an impossible dream. Sometimes they are attainable through generous parents, good budgeting, hard work or smart banking. Cameron McMillan is the Chief Executive Officer of the Queensland Rural and Industry Development Authority or Qrider, who are increasingly gaining a reputation being the saving grace to making dreams reality. They also play a pivotal role in getting communities back on their feet following disaster. Cameron has had a fascinating career, starting as a stock and station agent in Western Queensland to a long stint with the Australian Trade Commission overseas and now with Qrider. And there's a lot in between, but I'm sure we'll get to that. Welcome, Cameron. Jane, uh, delighted to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining us. I love that you started in such a grassroots job. So how did that come about? Well, actually, my father was an agent and um, I wasn't so successful at school, um, and I ended up at Gatton College and I had to work out what to do next. And um, I, I went back into the family business, if you like, as a, as a stock and station agent. And I did that, you know, all around Queensland, which I just, uh, you know, just loved. But I got to a point one day when I thought um, I went overseas, had a holiday overseas, and I, and I thought I've just got to get myself over there. You caught and, the bug, uh, so the travelling bug, and then it's hard yeah, to go back after that. Exactly. So I, I sort of put myself back into university as a mature age student and then I was sort of lucky enough to join Austrade and um, they were looking for a combination of a, an agricultural specialist and someone who'd been in the bush and I happened to be here. Yeah, that would be a perfect combination. What did you study as well? I, I just did a Bachelor of Business, so I guess I had the agricultural from Gatton. I did a Bachelor of Business and and, uh, you know, five minutes later, I'm in, in Canberra um, and then they were looking for uh, someone to go to South Korea to be the trade commissioner, you know, with a specialist in agriculture. And, uh, you know, in those days, that was in 94, uh, 95, you know, um, you know uh, I think South Korea is a very much an unknown. You know, it's one of our largest trading partners now, but it was an unknown market. I don't think too many people put their hand up. So I ended up spending an amazing three to four years there in, in South Korea um, and with a, with a specialist that focused on uh, agricultural products. That would have been fascinating. So we, like, because you wouldn't, as you said, we didn't know too much about South Korea then. So you can't, it's not exactly like you Google it. So what did, when you were getting on that plane to go over there, knowing that, you know, you've got this amazing new job, what was going through your mind? Well, that's a really good question. I, I think I thought I was a man of the world until I got there. And um, <laughs> I even I even remember being on the plane and I, I looked out and I said to the bloke next to me, um, you know, gee, this Seoul's a big place, isn't it? And he, he pointed out to me that that was just one of the bed towns outside Seoul. Oh, my goodness. So, and, you know, it was absolutely, you know, it's a massive, massive city, Seoul. And, and I went in there as a country kid, but I was very lucky um, – you know, there was a great network with Austrade. There was people like, uh, you know, the AMLC there. Um, and we just sort of linked in with them. You actually, in the old days, you actually worked very closely with the other trade commissioners from Canada, from America, from New Zealand. And, and all those blokes are still friends of mine to this day. 
There's two things there, though, because you, I guess you were all working on an emerging market which has its own challenges, but then, of course, there's the expat thing too where, you know, expats stick together and you create these amazing social networks. So when you were setting these up, as you said, it was an emerging market. It's now one of our biggest. Can you just talk us through what that was like and the challenges for you? We used to say the challenge was the market. You know, we had to try and break the products into the market and, um, and and that was a matter of we actually almost worked as a team and we used to go to big events like Soul Food um, where we would, you know, have different stands and, uh, you know, the AMLC and the seafoods and all and, and the dairy products, et cetera. Uh, and then after a while, we'd even work with the other markets, the other, you know, the, the other uh, countries like Canada, as I said, and, and New Zealand and set up our own stands uh, and events in hotels where we'd try and attract you know, buyers from right across, you know, that, that you know, the, the Korean market to come and, and sort of deal and, you know, engage with the exporters. So, yeah, the challenge was the market rather than, <laughs> rather than we didn't see them as competition. We saw the market as a competition. And we were sort of, you know, shoulder to shoulder to try and break into it. That's it's it. completely different these days. You know, it's a market that a lot of people know very, very well, but this was a long time ago. Yeah, but it's, it's still fascinating because it, it, it was a, an a pivotal part of time, I guess. So, what in the end, you know, you said you said you spent three to four years there, and then you went on to another overseas stint. Was it a similar situation? Uh, yeah, yeah, very similar. Um, you know, you, I guess, you know, it, which is typical. You know, you're in a job you love, and then they think you're management, so they, you know, <laughs> they promote a promotion. You. Yeah. And um, so, I, I moved across. Um, you know, my wife and I, we moved across to the Philippines, um, where we spent two years. And then we were lucky enough to um, be posted for another four years into Thailand. And um, so they were sort of different markets. Um, I, I got to say, I probably found South Korea the most fascinating because, um, you know, it was a really a place that, um, well, uh, you know, was very keen on our products. And it was such early days. And I remember vividly, you know, uh, back in Korea where, you know, it was all frozen meat going in and, you know, when we even had displays, we had to uh, go to the airport. If we wanted chilled beef to come in, we actually had to go to the airport and almost pick up the beef ourselves to wow. get it to these displays because, <laughs> you know, so everything was – it's just the early days. They really didn't have freezer – it didn't have the equipment or the infrastructure in place to enable you to just chill the beef. So it actually just had to be frozen because that was just easier. Wow. But, but, yeah, but Thailand and, and the Philippines, again, just fascinating markets and – um, and obviously living in Thailand, um, you know, it's a holiday destination. There's nothing like living in a holiday destination, is there? So, <laughs> no. so we got to see a lot of our friends, you know, because they came and enjoyed coming to see us. But um, our, another great market and, uh, you know, that, you know, is, is really, um, you know, one of those sort of markets that you don't hear a lot about, you know, but it, it is, you know, one of the mainstays of, of sort of exporting. Absolutely, and a bit of a snap back to reality when you came home. But I just going back because you obviously wouldn't j- just be talking about beef over there, but you were an agricultural specialist. So, what was it like trying to sell our products and highlight the the quality of them in some of these markets that really there was a big cultural as well as language as well as everything else divide. In my times in the Philippines and in Thailand, I was also responsible for all the markets. I just didn't have the opportunity to sort of specialise on agriculture. But I think, um, you know, one of our challenges is that for a long time, we just looked upon exporting as something we did with our excess production. 
Now, we've moved on a long way from there. You know, exporters now know they've got to be in the market. They have to service the market. They've got to invest in the market. They don't take it as a sort of short-term opportunistic um, uh, you know, practice, if you like. But, you know, that was one of our challenges. I think a lot of, you know, again, this is a while ago, um, a lot of the other markets, particularly the Americans at this time, they were very, very committed to the marketplaces and we could never work out why we lost out. And I guess also, you know, and I think it's very well recognised that the New Zealanders, you know, they were very focused on on their products and, and they have a number of very, very good products, including meat products. And they're just very good marketers uh, and they stick at it. They, you know, they put a lot of resources behind a few products. So, you know, at times we really struggled to compete against them. Mm. But I think now people... You know, uh, exporting is now p- part of people's business models. Uh, they know they're in the value chain and they know how to, to go about, you know, getting and maintaining those markets. So I think it's a completely different scenario today. Yeah, absolutely. And we will come back to a, a few more of the those points that you touched on. But I do want to talk about your current role because you're working with Curata, as I said. And, you know, as I alluded to before, it covers a broad range of services to Queensland. So how... Um, how did you transition into this role and, and what is Curata essentially? Yes. Well, I was actually, um, I left Austrade uh, after some 15 years. I, I joined, I spent a, a number of years with BDO. BDO were looking at um, sort of their international, so I was sort of head an international business uh, based here in Brisbane. Um, and I spent a lot of time, a lot of that international business was associated with agriculture. And then one day I, I, I you know, simply picked up the newspaper, I think, and, and there was a job as the CEO of Curider. And um, the more I read, the more it interested me. I, I was uh, not much of a consultant, to be honest. Um, I, uh, I, I really enjoy, you know, the thought of public service and I, I really enjoy the fact that we can, you know, hopefully build, you know, our regional community. So the more I read about um, Curider, it was Curar in those days, but the more I read, the more I, I liked. And uh, I've now been here just over five years and I, I, you know, it just gets better every day because I think, you know, the, particularly the government is, has recognised that we do have a, a large role to play. And even in the last five years, our, uh, the, you know, the expanse of our services and the expanse of our ability to assist people in the bush, uh, you know, beef producers, uh, has increased. So, it, you know, I just didn't really realise how good a gig I'd got. Like, <laughs> it was a happy surprise. Yeah, very much so. Well, I guess yeah. it, and it may be just be my stage of life and, and um, you know, the industry that I'm in, but I hear Q-Rider more often than not in referring to, to helping young people get into that rural property market, and that's such a hurdle. But I guess it's so much more than that too. So, can you just give us a bit of, you know, you were surprised at the breadth of it. What is the breadth of it? Yes, okay. Well, probably, um, you know, the main product that most people know us for is the uh, what they call pipes. So that's the primary industry productivity enhancement loans. So we do uh, $100 million a year. Um, 50% of that is for new entrants and succession. So, you know, really about getting new people into agriculture or helping, you know, uh, that family business, you know, um, make sure that it transitions into the next next generation the other bit sustainability so that's you know making um you know looking at things like fencing feed uh, water etc and 
And then we've taken on some new gigs. Um, and one is we are now, uh, we have a thing called the Farm Debt Restructure Office. So that's really where, you know, that relationship or the communication between the lender and the borrower has broken down. We inject consultants, uh, very knowledgeable people, into that relationship, get to understand what the situation of the borrower or the grazier is, and, and then try and see if they can put a plan in place. Um, we also run farm debt mediation in Queensland. So farm debt mediation is now compulsory. So, if, you know, if a bank moves on a lender um, in, in, in agriculture, they have to go through the farm debt mediation. We, we don't, um, we have a panel of people that do that, but we run the panel. And um, we also do disaster recovery. So, you know, that disaster recovery funding arrangement, which is through QRA, the Queensland Reconstruction Authority, uh, so we deliver that. That's jointly funded between uh, the federal and state government. So when, you know, the monsoon event, you know, 2019 monsoon event, you know, we uh, we are there uh, sending that money out. And probably the last thing we do is we, we do um, the rural debt survey as well. So if there is a, um, uh, you know, once every two years, we did it in 2017, we did it again in 2019, we just look at the you know, the quantity and the quality of debt and how it's affecting each industry, how it's affecting each uh, region. And there just hasn't been a comprehensive document like that uh, in a long time. There is nothing really at a federal level. So, you know, it just shows the sophistication of agriculture in Queensland that we're really the only one, you know, that has got some really comprehensive numbers looking at, you know, exactly what the debt you know, in the agricultural industry is. And what is it, the last, like the last lot of surveys, that was fairly recent. So what were the big surprises there? There weren't so many surprises at all. Um, you know, uh, rural debt in, in Queensland is about $19 billion. Uh, in 2017, it was about $17 billion. You know, there's been, uh, you know, a, a, a slight increase in, in the volume, in the dollar volume. But uh, the quality of it didn't deteriorate at all. So it's, you know, it generally is very good quality debt. You know, there's, you know, if you look at where the problem areas are, there aren't, there really isn't that much. And, um, you know, and even in that period, um, you know, I haven't got the exact numbers, but, you know, the value of land's gone up. Um, definitely the value of, a, you know, a paddock full of beef has gone up. So, you know, that debt is, you know, well supported by, by land. Um, and for example, you know, this is off the cuff, but the uh, beef debt is currently sitting at about $1.4 million, um, you know, which, you know, with the price of cattle, with the price of land at the moment, you know, uh, you know we feel that is very, very well supported by assets. So we're not, we're not we're, it, but it gives us the actual numbers. You know, a lot of people are prepared to make comments on, on what real debt is and, you know, uh, but you know, they are the facts and, and the facts are that it's, it's definitely not out of hand and it is good quality. I, I love that term, good quality debt. I reckon that would send shivers up more than a few people's spines. And I guess, you know, a, a lot of this is, is transitioning young people or new businesses into some rural businesses and obviously dealing with, with family operations. The conversation around debt, is that is that hard for a lot of people? Oh, I I think so. I think that you know, the, you know, you're talking about a family business, and and um, you know, I think that succession conversations are difficult. The the uh, the money conversations are they're just always a bit more complex because you're having that conversation, 
you know, generally about your family home and you're also having that conversation with your family. So, mm. you know, I'm a bit of a believer that it, it sort of takes a village um, and, you know, that that's why, you know, I'm a big advocate for people having really good quality advisors. You know, people have a good accountant, have a good solicitor, have a good, um, you know, financial advisor if you need someone between you and your bank. And then I think they really, they are, instruments or you know resources that will make those conversations just a, just a bit easier a bit more focused and you get a better result yeah absolutely and that would be quite a an amazing thing for you too when you have been dealing with such huge international businesses and conversations in that real corporate level that you know not taking away the fact that you guys are obviously very corporate and professional too but the family businesses and those conversations with so much emotion and tradition and all of those things involved that's very different ways of of doing business oh exactly but you know the backbone of you know uh, the backbone of australian agriculture the backbone of queensland beef industries you know is is family farms and, and um we really need them to be successful. And I guess that's why we're so, um, you know, th- that's why the government and like your writer is so, you know, keen to assist in any way we can. I think it's quite interesting, you know, we do talk about succession and these conversations, but, you know, if you look at the beef industry and you look at our loans in the beef industry, our first start loans are going to a 40-year-old, around that 40-year-old, and then our sustainability loans are going to 56-year-olds uh, at the average. Does that worry you? Oh, not not at all. No, um, I, I, um, you know, I guess we. It, it takes a while to get to that point, doesn't it? They're, you mm. know, beef properties are such big assets. It it can take a while for people to get there, but you know, it's one of our ambitions to have those ages younger. There's no doubt yeah. about it, and and that's why, you know, we, you know, we're being supported by government. They're giving us more money to to roll into it. You know, our loans used to. Um, used to be $650,000, but it was recognised that, that just wasn't enough money. So our first start loan is now $2 million um, and our sustainability loan is $1.3 million. So we've we've had to sort of adjust, um, you know, to the needs of, um, you know, the, the younger generation or, or the needs of the industry. We've got to, you know, continue to, you know, change our um, our offerings to the market, you know, to try and meet the market. And how will we bring that age down? Like you said, you know, it was a priority to try to to transition some of these things earlier. But is is that a reality when things are just so good at the moment and property prices are massive and beef's doing really well? In terms of tools, we, we had a thing called the Farm Management Grant. We ran it for three years um, and it was very successful. So basically it was assisting, it, it, it is now a, um, a project that's actually closed, but over three years, um, people could claim up to two thousand five hundred dollars uh, consultancy fees to have that conversation, that that succession conversation. So it was, um, you know, it was very successful. We we found, uh, you know, our research into it indicated that seventy percent of the people um, that had actually applied for the money, received the money, were actively working on their succession plan. Um, and I think it was a a way for the next generation to go, you know. To, to, to the um, to the older generation and sort of say, listen, there is an opportunity to sort of claim the money. And we, you know, we, we didn't mind that they could do it over a couple of years and they could also, you know, different family members could actually apply for it. So I think, you know, at the, and at the same time, the government looked at the standard duty transitioning through the generations and, and they've actually adjusted that as well. So I think, you know, there's a couple of policies that have actually happened, 
that will hopefully you know, actually add to this conversation. But they're just never easy, are they? I mean, no, no, I can, I, I can vouch for that 150%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, when you're in an industry like, you know, like the beef industry, when it, when it has, um, you know, its ups and downs, but, you know, breeding, breeding cattle, is, you know, I, I can think you to think it's a pretty cool thing. Why would you want to give it up, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's the lifestyle too. And I think that's, yes. it's, you know, getting people to think you're not shoving your parents or the, the older generation into town into a retirement home. Like there does have to be, you know, as much as breeding beef is terrific, it is just as much the lifestyle as well. It, exactly, exactly. So, you know, you, you, you can't blame them from when they don't want to leave or and you're dealing with a family. So it just yeah. makes it all the more complex. That's yeah. right. And favourite children and all of those things. Now, I guess yeah. just <laughs> I'll leave that one there. What do you think the the future of the Queensland beef industry looks like when we've when things are pretty bloody good at the moment? You know, you just can't not feel positive about it, to be honest. I mean, I, I think there's, you know, you wouldn't want to take anything for granted and, and um, you, you know, you wouldn't want to relax on, you know, your, on your laurels or anything. But... You know, I think I get really excited and, um, you know, and encouraged by the by the next generation. And I see them here in our office. You know, I, I see what they bring to our office. And, you know, we, we have a lot of quite senior bankers here who've, who've come to join the organisation. We're now getting the next generation through. And they are looking at, you know, they are looking at agriculture a little bit differently. And I think that's happening out in the paddocks as well. And, I'm really encouraged that they're actually listening to the past generations because I think the past generations have got so much to offer that, you know, they really, you know, they've been down the dry gullies and if you, you know, if we're prepared to listen to them, we're going to learn a lot. I think the next generation, they're going to be, uh, they've been brought up with the new technologies and and if we can sort of start to really adapt those new technologies and, and, and adopt them, I think their propensity to take risks might be a little bit different as well. And I think that will, you know, transition us a bit further. And I, I, I think they might understand, and, and perhaps social media has brought this, but they're probably a little bit closer to the end user, or, or they they have an ability to get closer to the end user. And and there's no use us growing something that no one wants. You know, yeah. we've got to grow what 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 the market wants. Um, and I and I think that next generation. You know, I'm not saying the old generation didn't get it, but I definitely know the next generation understands that. And that, you know, from my exporting days, yeah, you've got to have a market for what you grow and you've got to really focus on your customer. And that, and this generation really looks like they've adopted that. Well, that's that's fascinating because that's a, quite a lot of stuff to in, include, really. Now, just before we before we run out of time, you know, I do want to talk about your relationship to Beef Twenty One because, um, as you mentioned before, you've you've worn several hats um, over the years to this event. Uh, lucky enough, I, when I got back to, uh, to Australia, you know, uh, a colleague said we ought to go to Beef Week, and I, I was like, right, well, that sounds great, and um, <laughs> um, and that uh, and and but in those days, you know, there wasn't a lot there, with all due respects, and we went up there to talk about international business, and not too many people wanted to talk to us. <laughs> I went back. Um, I went back with BDO, and and we at the time we sponsored some things, and 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 international business was really gaining some momentum. And the last time I went back up with Q Rider, you know, you're lucky to get a gig to get into the VIP lounge, you know, the international lounge because no, it was shoulder just, to shoulder in there. It was just so busy, and um, so it was very interesting to see, you know, that 
transition. Um, and, you know, it's going to be very different this year, obviously, uh, with, with, you know, the absence of probably international visitors. But I think we now know the importance of them. And um, so, yeah, no, it, Jane, you're very interesting you know, the, the times I've been there, I think I've been there four or five times before, so around four. But, <laughs> it's hard um, to remember. <laughs> I can't really remember. Um, I know it is a marathon, not a sprint. And yeah. um, I think in the old days I went for a week and now I just pop in overnight. So I must be getting old. Yeah, I was going to say you must be getting old. <laughs> you don't <laughs> have the stamina is, or, you, or you're yeah. smart enough. I don't know. You could yeah, be could yeah, anyway. I'd, I'd like to think oh, a bit of all those things, I think. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I guess, you know, you've seen it from all different angles too, which is, is fascinating. And I guess when you're talking about the um, the interest in that international side of things is is fascinating as we understand our markets and, and as you said before, realise that it's not just for excess, it's absolutely something that we should be honing in on. So what was that like um, as you watched everyone else click that into place? Yeah, I, I think we've really transitioned. You just see the way the the, the market's developing and, and um, I, I think that we there are options out there now, and, and we know that there are options, and some of those options, um, you know, um, are probably going to be, you know, um, you know not meat-based even, you know. Mm. So, you know, I think um, we know, uh, you know, it's a very competitive market. We know that the communication is happening so quickly. We know you can, you know, wreck your brand in five minutes and you can take 50 years to build it. So I, I just think that, you know, everyone is conscious that, you know, we've got to go down that down that journey and I guess you know what we do here at Curider is right at the start of that to be honest um, you know we're, we're just trying to get that next generation in we are trying to make you know trying to assist people to make their businesses not necessarily bigger but better you know more sustainable um, and more equipped to face commodity challenges climatic challenges face you know financial challenges and there's you know running and running a beef business is very, very complex, uh, you know, when you've got all those variables going on, you know, we, we just want to play a small role in, in that and, and assist in any way we can. So how do you build that into the conversations you have, like if a young couple come and, and they're applying for a loan or some assistance or advice, you know, you just rattled off any number of, of ideas there, including sustainability and, and that sort of thing. So what conversations do you have? People used to come to us and say the paperwork was too much. Um, they don't say that anymore because I think the banks, you know, through um, you know royal commissions, et cetera, have had, you know, to change their processes. And but we 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 focus on plan and people. So we've got to, you know, we have regional area managers. We've got eleven offices, regional offices around the state. Um, we have expanded that recently. We've opened up a Townsville office. We've opened up a, a Cloncurry office. So which is sort of against the trend at the moment again. But we. We really want to understand the plan. So, what's the vision? What's the strategy? What's the plan? And um, you know, um, I'll generalise. Sometimes graziers and farmers are not so great at writing it down. So, you know, we'll even sit with them and try and extract that plan from them. But you know, when we look at things like equity and and viability, etc., um, it's got to be. Um, the, the background has got to be based on on a real plan and um, they've got to be the right people, right plan, and, and that's what we try to focus on. And and I think we used to be a little bit cookie cutter. You know, if it didn't, if a, if a um, an application came in here 
and we didn't like the look of it. I think in the old days, we probably went, right, oh, well, you're out. Now we want to see if we can work out whether there's a deal there and, um, you know, to, to see if we can get that deal done. And I don't mean deal in a, in a crass sort of way. I just think, you know, what's trying to be achieved? You know, can we help? And even can we help them refine it, you know, to, to make sure that we can get them across the line? So, yeah, it's just a, a bunch of conversations. We've got those regional officers. They're local people generally. You know, they're, they're people that have been in the areas for a long time. They know the industries. Uh, they know the areas. Um, and, and, and you know, we'd like to think that, you know, we, we position it so they've got the time to really understand, uh, you know, what, what the applicant or, you know, what the one, you know, the grazing family, farming family is trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely, with so many other different factors to consider. Last question, um, it shouldn't hurt you too much, but are, are you a cook? Do you enjoy the kitchen? Oh, no, by the sounds no, of that. No, I'm going to run with yeah, no. No, that sounded pretty <laughs> painful actually, Cameron. <laughs> Uh, because I was going, I, we we need to know what your favourite cut of beef is, and not a not a show pony, you know, um, Saturday night dinner party, but a, yeah, an average yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, I, I I have had to think about. I cheated because I did listen to one of your other ones, so oh, I was actually prepared for this question as oh. I, as opposed to the other ones. <laughs> and I've come up with two. Oh. One is if it's okay, can I have two? Yeah, you um, can have two. No, one two is uh, the one is Silverside, and oh. um, and and Silverside actually reminds me of Sunday lunch with my grandparents when I was oh, at boarding school. Goodness. But the other bit is um, Silverside was the only thing that the cooks at my boarding school couldn't wreck. So oh, I, wow. I used to enjoy Silverside, and the other one, and the reason I I I paused before was. I, I love cooking sausages and um, our kids are now sort of at uni and or just the end of school. And I just remember, because I can't cook, I just remember the joy even a sort of a half-burnt sausage brings to the face of a school-age rower or a rugby player or a softball player, you know, when you handed it to them with a, in a piece of white bread. Oh, my you know, goodness. This is the I, best. <laughs> Yeah, so it, they're, they're, they are my two, Jane. They yeah. are excellent ones, and I love that they've got really lovely memories and stories. And I think, well, see, Silverside, you're definitely the first Silverside on the podcast so far, and we've been going for, for nearly a year. So well done on that one. But um, I couldn't go near Silverside for the longest time because we had it so much as a child, though – I reckon squashed corned beef sandwiches in a saddlebag after they've been there all day with mango chutney is one of the most delicious things oh, that are in the world. Yes. Yeah, those sweaty corned beef sandwiches are really something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate the, the sausage story too. I think that's fantastic. But thank you so much for your time today, Cameron McMillan. Jane, absolute pleasure to speak to you. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, good. Thanks. We'll see you at Beef 21. I look forward to it. Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners. Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.